The Truth News Network. One man can change the world. It's done every day. Kepler, Copernicus, Ptolemy, Lister, they all change the world. Interesting that these are scientists. And the hallmark of science is skepticism and a relentless pursuit of truth. Starting to see a picture? Good. And here to clarify that picture for you from TNN, the Truth News Network, Dan Newman. While I was listening to Pete Moss there, I thought, why why don't we just add one more name to those people, those great leaders that changed the world? How about Volodymyr Zelensky? Can you believe this little guy, former stand-up comic and entertainer that became president of the nation of Ukraine, he has gone toe-to-toe with Vladimir Putin, one of the most powerful leaders, top two or three in the world, and the Russian army, and he's still standing nose-to-nose with Vladimir Putin. We've got some news this morning about that, about Vladimir Zelensky himself on a personal level. And we've got the President of the United States. He's going to give us some uh, enlightened messages about things that uh, you don't want to miss. And so we're going to get right into that this morning. But before, I just want to tell you, thank you for continuing to be a part of the Truth News Network family. We do this for you guys. I mean that. We really do this for everyone that reads our stories and listens in uh, live every day. A bunch of you do. Many of you do. And I want to say thank you for that. In addition to that, this new venture we went on a couple of months ago where we allowed our show to begin to be taken in podcast format and distributed worldwide by Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, uh, let's see who else. I don't want to leave any of them out. Google Podcast, TuneIn, Stitcher, and what other one is there? Oh, iHeartRadio Podcast. They all grab the show right after it finishes, and they add it. And so anytime you miss a show and you want to go grab it, you can go to any one of those sources and just enter the name, TNN Live, which, as you know, is the name of this show, and they'll pop up all around the globe, folks. People are joining you and me, and we're honored that that is happening. We don't think we deserve it, but it just shows that people are hungry for facts every day. And it's amazing to me that we can find them together, and it's not as difficult as it seems to be, which makes you wonder, why didn't mainstream media just give us the same kind of information without couching it all the time with their political personal perspectives rather than factual perspective? It's interesting. We're not going to fret about that. We're not going to get into that. But let's get started overnight. What was happening over there? What was going on in Ukraine? And um, I thought just to get started, that we would uh, we would kind of turn to one of the biggies, just about what's happening overnight and early this morning in Ukraine. NBC News, they weighed in with a little bit of information about what's happening. Yesterday, we were in front of an apartment building that Russia attacked on the outskirts of Kiev. That is no longer the case. This is one of several str- uh, sites right in the heart of the city that Russia attacked overnight. 
But despite all of this, three prime ministers from Poland, the Czech Republic and Slovenia are coming here in person today to Kiev to meet with President Zelensky to show solidarity, even as Russia is carrying out attacks on cities all across this country. The southern city of Mariupol looks almost post-apocalyptic. Columns of smoke rising from dozens of fires. Russia has been firing into the captive city of 400,000, like shooting at hostages. A few hundred packed cars were able to get out through a humanitarian corridor. While overnight in Kyiv, there were more apparently random attacks. Missiles fired at the city, hitting a subway station. This morning here, volunteers were sweeping up. In the collective spirit, no one called them. They just came from the neighborhood to help. This strike hit a subway station in central Kyiv. The Russians are no longer just picking off targets on the outskirts of the city, but now hitting the commercial and residential center of the city. Up above, the station is extensively damaged. But these subways were dug during Soviet times to be deep in case the United States back then attacked with nuclear weapons. Now this shelter is in use again and under attack by Russia. Alina, who used to sell cakes she bakes at home, is down on the subway platform with her daughter Anna. She says she heard the explosion hit the station and all the glass falling. Before we used to think how good it was to sleep in our beds, she says. Now we just thank God to wake up. In a subway car, Tanya says she's always sick. She's been down here for over a week. Russia's attacks now hardly seem targeted at all. Just lethal, harassing strikes on civilians. In part because the Russians aren't getting any closer. Ukrainian resistance has slowed down Russia's advance to a near halt. The killer convoy outside of Kyiv is stuck dead by the road. No fuel. A senior U.S. military official tells NBC News Russia's advance is disorganized, poorly coordinated, and that weapon systems are failing because of operator error. Ukraine's President Zelensky, speaking in Russian, called on Russian troops to surrender and for the Russian people to rise up before their country becomes as closed and repressive as North Korea. But beware of the Russian army on its back foot. While troops aren't advancing quickly or at all, Russia is relying on long-range artillery, rockets, and missiles to rain fire on Chernihiv and Kharkiv and Kyiv. And because the incoming fire is seeming to fall at random now in the center of Kyiv, the mayor of this city, starting tonight, is implementing a 36-hour blanket curfew, advising people not to leave their houses at all. All right. Richard Engel for us there in Kyiv. Richard, thank you. I got to be honest with you, guys like Richard Engel, also the reporter for Fox News that was hurt yesterday pretty seriously, I haven't got an update this morning on his status. You got to look at these folks that are over there putting themselves in harm's way to watch firsthand and then translate it back for us here in the U.S. Have a lot of respect for those guys. Fellow journalist, one that is willing to stand in front of of all of the fighting that's going on to bring us truth and information back here. It's amazing to me, folks. I um, I peruse all of these sources, the big four, ABC, NBC, CBS, and then Fox News. I peruse all of the stories there. That was an NBC message that you just heard. And it's amazing that 
they give us good stuff when it pertains to exactly what's happening in the streets of Ukraine, more so than the other big three. At least they have the last few days. Just a, a little tidbit of information there. Our, um, our story this morning, viewers, it's just blown the lid off. And let me explain why. I'm not going to go into the exact story, but let me tell you, let me just give you the background. I'm a Christian. I've uh, served God actively. I believe in pretty much every one of the tenets that is being espoused by hardcore Bible-believing people today. And when I say almost, I shouldn't have said that. I believe it all. I believe the Bible. I believe it's the divine word of the living God. I believe in salvation. I believe in a personal relationship with God through a son, Jesus, who he was born of a virgin, lived a life, was crucified, then was crucified and he died and he rose from the dead and he is in heaven sitting by his father. And I believe that there is going to be an end to this world as we know it and that there will be life afterwards and we can be a part of it. And I told you that to put in context the story that I penned today that's posted at truthnewsnet.org. And it's titled Wars and Rumors of Wars. And if you're a Christian or you go to church much, you've heard that used in the context of what's happening at the end of all of this. And the reason I'm saying these things now is I want to make it very clear. This is not, has not been, is not a religious show. And I struggled in the very beginning of the initiation of this show two years ago. Actually, to be honest with you, two years ago today was show number one for TNN Live. I struggled whether I should launch into Christian things every day. There are plenty of places we could go. You and I both know the world is full of problems for all the people, all of us that are in it. And so there are lots of ways I could go with that. But when I prayed about it, and those that know me know that I was confronted about starting this show a year before it started, and I told my brother, who was my pastor, Denny Duran, at Shreveport Community Church in Shreveport, Louisiana. He is my brother. I grew up in he and his parents' household. Um, he's the one. He's my biggest fan. He always has been. We, uh, we started together in ministry when I was 16, and he was 17. And he's always been a fan. And he believes, as do a lot of other people that are close to me, that my calling is in broadcast journalism of some sort. And so I struggle going back and forth. Should this be a Bible, a preaching website? Should this be an information website? And it came to me finally as it it being this. Speak your mind, Dan. Speak your mind. The Bible says out of the abundance of our hearts, in other words, what we really believe and think, that's what we're going to talk about. I'm not a minister. I've never felt a call to full-time ministry, but I am a Christian, and I believe strongly in sharing our beliefs with each other. So a, a and I'm trying to describe a person, um, and it's tough to do. He is a legitimate, true prophet, 
just like we read about the prophets from the Old Testament. And when I met him three or four years ago, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like an, a normal guy that goes to church. I hear about prophecy. I read prophecy in the Bible. And I believe the stories, the prophetic stories that are, are put in the Bible. But when you try to take those and put them in the context of 2022 in the United States of America and even in any other country on the world, on the earth for your perspective of what and how and which is real and which isn't. It's kind of tough to just automatically believe everything that happens regarding prophecy when it's right in your face. This prophet's name is Gustavo Paez, and I won't get into any great length about things, but I want you to know this. I've been in my lifetime around a bunch of prophets, not a bunch, probably a handful and uh, when I watch they, these prophets exercise their gift, their calling, um, there are some that you just say, man, these people got it right on. And then there are some you go, eh, I don't know about that. I've been with Gustavo Paez in large crowds with many people, people that he doesn't know here in the United States. He speaks very broken English, so he always, when he ministers, he ministers with an interpreter. And he's been to Shreveport Community Church, I think, three, maybe four times now. And um, he, he, you know, he's one of those guys. And for those of you that have been around in ministry and there have been prophets that have come around, um, the typical format for that kind of service is the prophet will deliver a message of some sort. And then at the end of it, he begins to execute. He'll call people up, he'll walk around to people, he'll give them words. Of prophetic words, Gustavo Paez is one of the best preachers I've ever been around, and I've been around a lot. And he doesn't do that that in that format. The way he ministers, his his word comes in the form of a message, and during the message, he executes his prophetic gift. He is one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. He never embarrasses anybody, never. But here's how he'll do it. He'll he'll give a text and start ministering. And as I said, he's a great preacher. And in the midst of preaching, he will sometimes walk out into the crowd to a particular person and ask them to stand up and he'll give them a prophetic word. And then he just keeps on preaching. It's the coolest, smoothest operating church service with prophecy included that I've ever seen. And folks, I've been with him a lot, as I said. I have never, ever seen him miss one time giving a prophetic word to somebody. Not once. Now, I'm not with him all the time. But I believe, because I do know him now, we've spent time together. He's genuine. And I'm saying all that to say this. We're living in an era of prophecy, prophetic word right now. There's no way we're not. And so last night, all day yesterday, when I was working on the show for today, the content, I couldn't get away from, I need to speak the truth to the people that read truthnewsnet.org, our stories there, and listen on TNN Live. And so I want you to know when you read that story, wars and rumors of wars, I wanted you to know the basis that it was written. 
And if you disagree with me, that's fine. In fact, I end the story. I make it very clear. Reach out to me. Confront me. Hey, novel idea. Shoot me an email and say, hey, Dan, I agree with that. Thank you for, for, for posting it. <laughs> and I don't mind if anybody disagrees with me. Please let me know you do. And if I need to look somewhere else and look at something else as far as sources regarding the topic today, which is what's happening right now and where are we going as, as a world, where are we headed? Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. You got all that for free. But I want you to read the sh- this story. Um, on the website, it, it gives the title on the show on, on the story, Wars and Rumors of Wars, and then right below it, there's this big picture, and it has two words in the middle of it, Judgment Day. I think that probably uh, speaks for itself. Once again, thank you for joining us here every day. I really love doing this with you. I love going down this road together. Information and grabbing it and finding it, it's kind of cool. Whenever you find a little nugget that you've never known about, thought about, maybe you've always questioned something and just all of a sudden you find it. It's like you've been looking for gold, digging for years, and you find that special nugget of gold. I like doing that, and I like sharing that with you. Let me just say this. Volodymyr Zelensky, he's one of the most incredible leaders on the planet in my lifetime, 68 years, that I've ever seen. I mean... His country is being battered. People, men, women, and children, not not soldiers, but people are being slaughtered just like they, they don't even exist. And the United States offered him a way out before the fighting actually began. Hey, we'll send a jet and pick you up, you and your family members, and take you to safety. He didn't even bat an eye. He said, nope. And remember the story that we published a week or two ago? I don't want to ride. Send me some ammunition. That's what he told the U.S. envoy that delivered that message to him. And he is still there. Guess what he did yesterday? I love this. He predicts victory in Ukraine. And then he took it one step further. He offered Russian soldiers a chance to survive. <laughs> oh my gosh, he's watching he's watching his country being torn to pieces, his people being ravaged, and he's speaking to the Russian soldiers. By the way, folks, they're not liking what they're experiencing now. The ones that are used to going to war for Russia. You know, those lifers in the military, they expected this to be, you know, a 48, 72 hour thing. You know, we'll just go in there and make a big splash and they're all going to lay down their weapons and we're just going to go back home. That's not happening. And bad enough, they're stringing this out. The Ukrainian army and Volodymyr Zelensky, they're stringing this out over time and stretching these these uh, army people from Russia very thin. They're running out of bullets, ammunition. They, as you heard in that story, NBC, the little segment we played at the beginning of the show, they're 
vehicles are running out of gas and they have no way to refill them, so they're just sitting around on the parts of Ukraine where the Russian army has been. Russia hasn't quit. They have these long-range ballistic missiles, and then they have these guns that shoot for 15, 16 miles. They're just battering these cities in Ukraine where they've encircled many of them, and the Ukrainian people are hanging in there. Zelensky said this yesterday. The 19th day of our resistance is over. Historical war. Another difficult day, which is still approaching our victory. Approaching peace for Ukraine. And then he noted this. Our enemy is confused. They did not expect stiff resistance. Their soldiers know this. Their officers are aware of this. They flee the battlefield. They abandon equipment. We take trophies and use them to protect Ukraine, he said. Today, Russian troops are in fact one of the suppliers of equipment to our army. They could not imagine such a thing in a nightmare. And then he addressed these Russian soldiers personally. Listen to this. Russian conscripts, those that are drafted, Russian conscripts, listen to me very carefully, Zelensky warned. Russian officers, you've already understood everything. You will not take anything from Ukraine. You will take lives. There are a lot of you, but your life will also be taken. But why should you die? What for? I know you want to survive. Therefore, Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, said, I offer you a choice. On behalf of the Ukrainian people, I give you a chance, a chance to survive. If you surrender to our forces, we will treat you the way people are supposed to be treated, as people, decently in a way you are not treated in your army, and in a way your army does not treat ours, Zelensky added. Choose. (laughs) Can you believe his nation is war-torn, being torn to bits by the Russian army, led by one of the horrible, most horrible, evil despots in world history? Vladimir Putin and this little guy in this little country that's under siege says, I'll give you a chance out. We'll treat you like people. Unlike the way your army's treating us, choose, he said. And then he praised the Russians who do not stop trying to convey the truth despite Putin's crackdown on the protest and journalists who buck his government narrative back in in, uh, Russia. We saw on a TV, a national Russian television news broadcast, one of the anchors that wasn't on that show with the poster walking behind the anchor on live television, and she's in the poster demeaning the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We found out she was arrested and she's being, quote, held in a secret facility. I can only imagine what that is. President Zelensky went on 
He said he's grateful personally to the woman who entered the studio. This is the one I just told you about with a poster against the war to those who are not afraid to protest as long as your country's not completely closed itself off from the whole world, turning into a very large North Korea, you must fight. You must not lose your chance. And he warned the, that Russian military leaders are going to be held responsible for war crimes. Responsibility for war crimes, he said, of the Russian military is inevitable. Responsibility for a deliberate humanitarian catastrophe in Ukraine is inevitable. The whole world sees what is happening in Mariupol, Kharkiv, Cherniv, Sumy, Aktikra, Hostomel, Irpin, in all our cities. Zelensky briefly addressed the peace talks with Russian negotiators. He said they appeared to be pretty good. Our delegation also worked on these negotiations with the Russian party. Pretty good, as I was told, he said. But let's see. They will continue tomorrow. And he said this, tomorrow is a new day. Wow. Churchill in a t-shirt. Folks, this, this man, regardless if he survives or not, regardless of whatever happens in this conflict, this war, this invasion, his name, Volodymyr Zelensky, will be in history books. Everybody's going to remember this guy for a long, long time. Everybody will. We're going to go to our first break. After the break, you need to sit tight. You're going to love what we talk about during this show today. We've got our own president. We've got him speaking yesterday, actually last night. You do not want to miss what President Biden had to tell his fellow Democrats at a huge get-together yesterday evening. That and much more is on the way. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. Welcome aboard Pizza Hut, where our legendary pan and stuffed crust pizzas will fly you to a world of flavors. Taste an all-American pizza sauce, juicy pepperoni, and farm-fresh mozzarella to discover America's mega pepperoni. Or explore the creamy pesto sauce, chicken and mushrooms, and the French creamy chicken mushroom. Fly far above the rest in taste and variety with five new pizzas. And thank you for flying Pizza Hut. A friend of mine said he wanted to talk to me about my Volvo. I told him, thank you, that's between me and my gynecologist. He said, no, no, your car, your Volvo 850 Turbo Sports Wagon. I said, oh, that. Nope, you can't drive it. Oh, I love my Volvo. Sure, it's safe, but gee, just because driving on the freeways of Southern California is the equivalent of playing bumper cars at the speed of light, what kind of reason is that? Volvos are still ultra-luxury imports, sleek and gorgeous and loaded to hear, safe and sexy, and pardon me, I have to go hug my car now. What's safe and sexy? Viva la Volvo. 
Test drive a Volvo 850 at your Southern California Volvo dealer. Since when is safe sexy, another friend asked. Hey, I said, what decade are you living in? You know, it's been interesting for me to watch President Biden deal with all the stuff on his plate. Of course, his plate is everything we deal with, everything here in the United States of America, and compare him with other world leaders. Now, let me tell you what is kind of surprising. Right now, we don't have access to many world leaders, just the little snippets that we hear in our news broadcast. But Volodymyr Zelensky with Ukraine, he's plastered all over news media every day. And it's pretty easy for us to compare him, Zelensky, with Joe Biden in the context of how they act, what they do when they're governing their two different nations. So uh, let let me just do this. Let me just let you hear from our president speaking last night and in the context of the invasion of Ukraine, um, he's talking about, in this meeting, he's talking about him and his administration and how they've handled the challenges that they faced when they went into office and subsequently since then and where we are today. But I'll shut up and just let you listen to President Biden last night speaking to a huge group of Democrats. Let's be absolutely clear about why prices are high now. They're high for two reasons. One was COVID. The way the global economy works, a factory in Taiwan that makes computer chips shuts down due to a COVID outbreak. It causes a ripple effect to slow down auto manufacturing in Detroit, literally, not figuratively. So because of the pandemic, We had significant disruptions in the supply chain. And our supply chain is so important with so many materials that come from other places. At the same time, because the rescue plan boosted the strength and speed of our recovery, Americans had more money in their pockets. And during the pandemic, they wanted to spend that money not on restaurants and vacations because of COVID, but on hard goods, home improvements, televisions, automobiles, But the lumber factories weren't open. They weren't making two-by-fours. Plywood wasn't available. I can go down the list. The very products that we needed for the things they wanted to buy are slowed down by disruptions in the supply chain. So what happens? Prices went up significantly. Just look at automobiles. Last year, automobiles, new automobiles counted for one-third of all the inflation in America because the auto companies couldn't get the computer chips. The price of an automobile skyrocketed. And now, the second big reason for inflation is Vladimir Putin and gas prices. Not a joke. We've seen the price of gas go up over a dollar just since he put his troops on the border, on the border of Ukraine. They went up a dollar and five cents. Big part of that reason is Putin began amassing troops along the border and then crossed. And guess what? The world took notice. The market anticipated. Prices went up. And then Putin invaded. Make no mistake, the current spike in gas prices is largely the fault of Vladimir Putin, 
has nothing to do with the American Rescue Plan. And of course that means it has nothing to do with me, the President of the United States. So, real quickly, let's just analyze at the 20,000 foot level where we really are. He was elected in November of 2020. That was the election. Now, he didn't take office until January 20th of 2021. So let's just give him a pass. But let me just look at one thing. Let me look at my gas purchases in my city in northwest Louisiana in the Joe Biden timeline. The day he was elected, I paid $1.68 a gallon for gas. And I use good gas for my car. And it's at the same station that the day he was inaugurated, I paid $2.20. So from November 3rd, 2020 to January 20th of 2021, my gas price went from $1.68 to $2.25. That has nothing to do with Vladimir Putin. But let's keep going. So, January 20th to 2025, and where we are now. So what's happened between now and then? Well, COVID was in the world uh, a few days before Joe Biden took office. you got to believe. we just been through a lockdown, crazy lockdown. And that all impacted the price of gas at the pump while it was happening. And of course, when you bring that up, Jen Psaki, White House Press Secretary, she's quick to say, oh, during the lockdown, gas prices went down or stabilized just because nobody was doing anything. They were locked down. They have excuses for everything that makes them look bad, makes them look like maybe we're just not really good leaders. Oh my gosh, nobody in that administration would ever admit to that. But let's keep going. So then you go from um, 225 and then we start having supply chain problems. And that means we can't get anything. Now granted, I will tell you, that feeds inflation. It feeds price hikes. And there are a whole lot of different reasons we're not going to get into. But let's just fast forward. Let's move the timeline a year ahead, further. Listening to Joe Biden in that speech he gave last night explain why he has no culpability for anything to do with inflation or gas price hikes or any price hikes or the supply chain processes. It's all because of somebody else. And then he he blamed the COVID gods. They had to come in here and screw up his deal. Vladimir Putin, folks, didn't come into this picture until three weeks ago. And there's there's no question that prices have gone up since then. And I'm sure in a direct response to this oil issue that we have and natural gas issue that we have and up in the Northeast, our heating oil issues. But do you think Vladimir Putin and COVID are the sole reasons why our gas at the pump, for me, went from $1.68 to $4.19? And it's all Putin's fault. Of course you don't believe it. Well, let me tell you who else doesn't believe it. Guess who has signed on to the truth train? 
mainstream media. You want to hear their analysis of what's going on? If you look at the numbers, uh, inflation really started to rise almost exactly when, when, when Biden came in the White House. I don't think people are candidly that dumb. I mean, we remember the inflation was going on long before uh, this happened. To sort of whitewash what happened all of last year, I don't think it's going to work for them politically. Rachel, I feel like a broken record, but they are saying it too. Your thoughts on this? It's ridiculous. So, I, first of all, as a conservative, it's just so laughable how, what a light touch they have with their criticisms. Uh, I can't imagine a conservative in year one having this entire disaster, including inflation, which hits everybody, especially the poor and the middle class um, and those on fixed income, and getting that kind of a light touch. That said, perhaps what they're doing here is allowing for criticism um, in order to allow for another candidate. Kamala will be tied to Biden, um, and they just want to make sure they kind of move them on, admit that, so maybe some of the the, the uh, Democrats running in the midterms don't get um, too smeared with all the with all the muck, and also make room for a new candidate in 2024. Yeah, I want to take a look at this montage because the Biden administration is pointing the finger at Putin, and this is laughable too. <laughs> Putin's war is already hurting American families at the gas pump. It is accurate that um, the invasion by President Putin into Ukraine has impacted global inflation, inflation in the United States. Next month, we'll see uh, further evidence of uh, an impact on U.S. inflation of uh, Putin's war on Ukraine. Make no mistake, inflation is largely the fault of Putin. Charlie, your take on this. It started when they started, you know, signing these bills to spend trillions and trillions of dollars that America exactly. didn't need at that time to reopen. It's all such a lie, and they're going to do everything they can to pin, just like they pinned everything on COVID before, they're going to pin everything on Putin now. Um, and it was sort of interesting. You saw uh, yesterday both the White House and Nancy Pelosi both put out these completely bonkers tweets yesterday about how inflation has nothing to do with spending, which is just sort of breathtaking. And I think, I think most regular Americans realize this, and I think that's why they are so scared and they're so furiously trying to pin this on somebody, anybody else other than themselves, because they know they're going to pay a price for it. And Griff, when it comes to the economy, I mean, a lot of Americans do vote with their pocketbook. They didn't necessarily last time. Um, but having said that, once they start to feel this, they go to the polls in the midterms and, and things may start to change. And this administration knows that. It's an old adage of politics, and it hadn't changed. Grab them by their pocketbooks, and their hearts and minds will follow. I look, let me tell you about this Putin price hike thing and how effective that's doing. I have been filling my car up, and it is very painful. Mm. I have not heard anybody cursing Putin's name at a gas station, but I've heard a lot of cursing going on when people are filling their <laughs> tanks up. So they may want to try a different thing and roll out a new boogeyman because Vlad isn't going to stick as the target. Rachel, in the last 20 seconds that we have left, you mentioned your nine children. When you have a family that large and you're paying more for groceries and gas and everything else that they need, I mean, it must be very daunting. It is. Um, but I tell you, every day that I complain about it, I think about those elderly people on fixed incomes, and they just have nowhere to go. They can't go to their boss and ask for a raise. Um, and often they're already living hand to mouth um, as it is. So uh, there's nothing for them to do. And there's no there's no indication at all that Biden wants to change his mind um, at all on any of these policies. So unfortunately, Jackie, just more to come. 
There's a lot of symbolism in that soundbite that you just heard. The mainstream media broadcast, that was a, an NBC crew at the beginning of that. They were basically saying it's crazy for this administration, for this president, to blame Vladimir Putin for our inflation because Vladimir Putin wasn't an issue a year ago when it began to spiral up. And somebody's got to say, here's the problem, and then do something about it. When Joe Biden explains why our prices are higher, remember now, when he's giving us solutions as our United States president, that means we've got to push through and work through this together. Here's the problem. Here's the source. We're fixing the source. And here's how we're going to help you get out of this thing. You've not heard one word from President Biden about what he can do to make it better. He's throwing it all out there, basically telling us, hey folks, I can't do anything. We can't do anything about this unless Vladimir Putin stops voluntarily what he's doing or unless we get lucky and Zelensky can put his Ukrainian army together. We're not going to help him. We're not going to give him anything. We don't want to take a chance of Vladimir Putin getting mad at us. He's running with his tail tucked between his legs is our president. I'm ashamed of how he's handling this issue with Ukraine. Think about it. Poland offered up MiG-29 fighter jets that Zelensky was begging the West to give to him. The West didn't respond. Poland said, look, we'll give you those but we're not going to give them directly to you because we don't want Russia, who is just across our border, from getting hot at us and coming after us because we gave Ukraine some jets. So we'll do this. We'll take those MiG-29s down to the U.S. air base in Germany. And then you, Mr. President, Mr. Joe Biden, you can have your military, your air force, bring those pilots over And you guys can train them on those MiG-29s. And Joe Biden said no. He nixed it. Why did he nix it? Because they are deathly afraid that Vladimir Putin's going to come after them. And there are people out there that I think credibly believe that the reason Joe Biden won't do anything pushing back against Putin is because Putin's got something on Joe Biden, just like we're pretty sure Chinese President Xi Jinping does. There's so many unanswered questions. But folks, it looks like the pigeons are coming home to roost. Every day it seems like we're getting more and more information that's opening the eyes of Americans. And every day, Joe Biden refuses to take responsibility for any of this. Any of the choices that have been made that have ended up hurting us and killing people overseas, he's not one time offered any kind of explanation that would include him making a poor decision. It's interesting. Right now, the Ukrainian people, they don't know what to do, but they're listening to their president. Their courage in the face of this Russian onslaught. It stands in stark contrast to the weakness 
of the Biden White House. While Zelensky has rallied his people to defend their homeland, Biden's responded with very little. And anytime he responds with anything, it's like halfway. He rejected that plan on the MiG-29 fighter jets. And the, the list could go on and on. Now, the Polish people, folks, they're not afraid of Vladimir Putin. They have a long tradition of killing Russian invaders. They understand that helping Ukraine in their hour of need is going to make future Russian aggression less likely. As a result, they offered to transfer not one or two, their entire fleet of MiG-29s for the United States to work with those pilots in Ukraine because they were trained on MiG-29s. Just give them a refresher course and then put them over their own nation to let them take care of their problem with the invading enemy. And then Biden did nothing. And they have one excuse. If we do that, it'll be like throwing a rock in Putin's face and then he's going to come after us. Russia, folks, is bogged down in a war that's far more costly than they predicted. The past two weeks of fighting have showed the flaws of Russia's armed forces, as well as (laughs) the tenacity of Ukrainian fighters. If Putin attacked us or a NATO ally over a few dozen fighter jets, He'd be signing up his military for a big, 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 big and much more painful struggle than he can even afford to fight. We're seeing that. He'd be signing his death warrant and probably the death warrant of his entire regime. Fighter jets are no more provocative than these other weapons that we've already sent to Ukraine by the hundreds, javelin anti-tank missiles, the biggie that the previous president of Ukraine begged Barack Obama and Joe Biden for back in 2014. They refused to give them to him. Trump gave them to him. Hundreds of Javelin missiles, those anti-tank missiles that were designed to take tanks out. We've also sent Stinger anti-air missiles that are blowing Russian helicopters and low-flying jets out of the sky. Biden's fighter fiasco is just the latest of his fear that you can see in his face of Russian aggression. When Russia first began building up its forces at the border of Ukraine, Biden rewarded Putin with the glitzy summit, remember that, that increased his stature while gaining no concessions. And on the eve of war, he admitted that a limited incursion, this is the one that just proved to me he is caved from the very beginning to Vladimir Putin. He basically said, Mr. President, talking to President Putin, it's okay, we will accept a limited incursion into Ukraine. It might divide NATO and go unpunished, Biden said. So once Putin just blew it off and went ahead and went in. Biden had to be dragged into sanctioning Russian oil and gas. He waited almost two weeks. So then, of course, Putin makes nuclear threats. Biden caved, canceling a routine missile test, even though the U.S. notified the Russians about the test coming up months ago. 
He's even refused to give the Ukrainians real-time intelligence about the Russians that are already inside Ukraine. And the reason he did that, he said, we don't want to cause them to go crazy and escalate against us. But if information is too provocative to send, what can we send? The U.S. has got to ensure that Russia pays a steep price for starting the biggest war in Europe since World War II. That means we got to stand with the people of Ukraine and arm every last one of them. If Putin and his oligarch deep pocket allies don't pay, they could widen the war and invade other countries, including NATO allies, that when that happens, folks, contractually, we're obligated to defend. In other words, we got to beat Putin right where he is and do whatever it takes to beat Putin right where he is. And guess what else is happening? Nobody likes to talk about this, but there are a bunch of other tyrants on the planet. They're watching. They're watching how the greatest nation in world history, the United States, is crawling around on our knees. We're not leading the fight. We're not even involved in the fight. What are they going to do? The commies in Beijing, you can bet they're watching this invasion with great interest. They've been talking about and making noise about invading Taiwan. Do you think this makes them feel a little more comfortable about us not messing with them if they decide to go after Taiwan? At every step, Joe Biden has allowed our response to be dictated from Moscow out of our fear of provocation. The wages of Biden's weakness are Russian tanks rolling through Eastern Europe. And we're not even supporting Ukraine. Nothing demonstrative anyway. Nothing at all. Our president is feckless. At least about this. And folks, I'm one of those people. I've said this here before. Those of you listening, you've heard me say it. I believe in praying for and supporting whoever's in charge because whoever's in charge is leading us and can make decisions that are life-changing for us. Use the example of a pilot. You may not like the pilot. You may see the pilot before you get on the plane. You, you know, when the, tr- the crew comes up late, you can always tell when they walk up to the door and they go through and go get on the plane getting ready for it. You can tell which ones are the pilots. Maybe you don't like the way he looked. Maybe he spoke to you, or maybe you tried to say hello and he did Whatever. But one thing I can tell you, you want him to be the most successful pilot in world history because you're going to get on a plane along with a couple of hundred other people, and you want him to be perfectly successful getting to where he's going because where he's going, you're in the back of the bus going with him. You want to make sure it goes well. We pray and support him. But that doesn't mean everything's going to work out okay. One Georgia congressman stepped out yesterday and he went public, said something that a lot of people are saying under their breath, but I haven't anybody heard anybody till now come out and just voice it. He said Russia's war invasion of Ukraine would have never happened 
if Donald Trump were still in office. Who said that? Representative Jody Heiss, a Republican out of Georgia. He pointed towards what he called the current weak leadership in the White House, which he said, and we've said it here, is in part to blame for the conflict. Heiss, by the way, is leaving Congress. He's not running for re-election, but he's running for Georgia's Secretary of State election in November. He also said he believes that Putin may well use this time of war to take advantage of the United States and even other Western nations. I'm not surprised, he said, from the perspective that the only reason this is happening is because we have such enormously weak leadership in the White House. This would never, ever be happening if Trump were there, and I think we all know that. His comments come shortly after Trump himself told Fox News, you heard it here, that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is truly a crime against humanity that never would have happened. Trump said if he were still in office, he took aim at Putin, who he said has got a very big ego, adding that if the Russian president were to end his military invasion of Ukraine right now, it's going to look like a big loss for him, even if he takes a little extra territory. Trump said, I know him well, talking about Putin, and this is not something that was going to happen, but let's see what happens. Let's just watch. He said the two had a very strong conversation during his time in office and that President Putin understood that there would be no invasion of Ukraine. Trump, however, declined to go into details about that conversation. The former president also took aim at the Biden administration's horrible and incompetent withdrawal from Afghanistan last year, as well as sky-high inflation and the ongoing migrant crisis in the U.S., Folks, all of those rolled in together. We have Ukraine. We had Afghanistan. We have nothing going on in the way of law enforcement, the enforcement of federal laws at our southern border. Our inflation's through the roof. Our supply chain is broken. Don't you think for a second that Xi Jinping, Kim Jong-un, the Iranian mullahs, and of course Vladimir Putin, Don't think for a second they're not watching that, that they don't have that information, intelligence being given to them. And they see this nation, our nation, is as weak as it's been in generations, three generations. And when it was maybe, arguably, this week previously, we were fighting a world war, part of it in Germany, Part of it in the Pacific and Southeast Asia, World War II. And these despots, Xi Jinping, Kim Jong-un, Ayatollah, whoever, which one is in power in Iran, they see this and they conclude, we've always wanted to go after the U.S. and just take them over, destroy them. Maybe, just maybe, Now is the time that we can get away with that. Don't think that Xi Jinping not only has had that conversation with those around him, he's certainly talked to Vladimir Putin about it. And I wouldn't be surprised if Kim Jong-un and him didn't have that conversation. And by the way, China has begun to come out strongly in support of Iran. If you look at everything through a world perspective, a prism of right now, today, It's not looking too good, but guess what? 
The man upstairs is in charge. He's got the end game. Kind of like being in his corner. What about you? Undeniably the go-to source for nonpartisan spin-free news from the world. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Meet Phil Sklar, co-founder of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. Our dream is to make Milwaukee, Wisconsin the bobblehead capital of the world. At American Family Insurance, we believe your dreams are the most valuable things you will ever own. So today, we're supporting Phil's dream. If people would like to be a part of the bobblehead dream, we take donations in money or bobbleheads. Every dream deserves a champion. Find yours at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its affiliates. 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53783. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion apply. Limited time offer. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember the naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Got some news for you about a guest on our show tomorrow. You heard him a couple of months ago. Actually, I think it was about 90 days ago. His name is Mark Drennan. He's a former pastor, and he's an American citizen. He and his three sons are in jail today, and Mark Drennan is in jail overseas. And guess who instigated them all being in jail? our United States Department of Justice, and Dr. Anthony Fauci. Well, we're going to have Mark on. There's an update. He's still in prison. He has been now for about 18 months. So have two of his sons. They're in South Florida. He's overseas. And he was arrested overseas purposely by our government, and our government's kept him stashed there. Why would they do that? And why won't they give them that constitutional guaranteed speedy trial? Great question. We'll get into that with Mark Drennan tomorrow. He'll be calling directly from jail. So I suggest that uh, you maybe join us a few minutes early because you don't want to miss a minute of it. He'll be on with us right at 9 o'clock Central tomorrow morning. That, of course, is if he can get on the phone to get out. He's done it about five or six or seven times. We talk periodically, but he's got some information that he wants to update you with. So don't you dare miss tomorrow morning at TNN Live. And tell you what, why don't you spread the news to some folks? This is a big deal. A man of God, and he's attacked as are his sons for things going on in their ministry that are perfectly legal. That may be why they don't want that speedy trial. You know, where you face your accusers, Hmm. It'll be interesting to hear. 
So what's happening right now? We got a couple of things we want to get into before uh, we move forward regarding the Ukraine thing. There are three world leaders, by the way, not one of the three is our leader, that are meeting with Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine today. Here's what's going on. Yesterday, we were in front of an apartment building that Russia attacked on the outskirts of Kyiv. That is no longer the case. This is one of several uh, sites right in the heart of the city that Russia attacked overnight. But despite all of this, three prime ministers from Poland, the Czech Republic and Slovenia are coming here in person today to Kiev to meet with President Zelensky to show solidarity, even as Russia is carrying out attacks on cities all across this country. I just wanted you to hear that bit. I wanted you to hear that bit. You heard about the report coming out of uh, Ukraine of what went on overnight and where we are, but three world leaders are meeting with Zelensky today, and I thought that was pretty salient. So it looks like this thing stretching on is being really negative for the Russians. And uh, former Trump National Security Advisor, H.R. McMaster, Yesterday, he was on CBS Mornings, and he weighed in on where he thinks this all is from the other side. He said Putin and his troops are in real trouble as the invasion continues to drag on. The co-host of that show said, how concerned should we be at this point that this battle is encroaching on what would be World War III territory? I was very interested when I saw this from McMaster. Here's his response. Well, you know... I think we should be concerned, but I don't think the World War III rhetoric is super helpful, kind of plays into Putin's hands. What he's trying to do is to threaten an escalation of the war so that we will throttle back on our support for Ukraine. Throttle back, my God, Mr. McMaster. Our president won't give him anything. It's not as bad as it was in 2014 when uh, Putin invaded Ukraine and Ukraine begged us for help, and the only help Joe Biden and Barack Obama gave them was they sent blankets because it was in the middle of winter. I don't think he even thinks we will escalate, but we already talked about that. I think it's important, McMaster said, for us to recognize that Russia is going to do everything it can to try to interdict the resupply for the Ukrainians. This is humanitarian assistance and replenishing some of the military capabilities. And then he said, what you're seeing is that Russia is really getting desperate, not only with this action to try to interdict the supply routes, but also with trying to lay the groundwork for maybe the use of chemical weapons, weapons, which is concerning. Then also Putin rattling his nuclear saber. So this is, I think, a real sign of weakness. I think Russia and Putin in particular, is in real trouble. Now, it's interesting to hear somebody that is in the know that's been through this before a few times kind of looks at it similarly to the way that we're looking at it, the saber rattling. But here's what Putin already knows. The United States is not a threat to him in any way. However, whatever, why ever, He has got our president not just standing on his heels, leaning back away from the wall, not, not wanting to get involved in it. Our president is running from any of this. 
And the American people are seeing it. So, you know, leaders around the world are seeing it too. And speaking about how this is impacting people around the world, we haven't even talked about, nobody's even mentioned what's going on in Europe. West of all this craziness, listen to this. Gas and electricity bills are increasing by 54% when the price cap that was set by Ofgem, Ofgem, who is the leader, the guy in charge of the Trades Union Congress in Britain. They're going to increase that cap next month. By contrast, average weekly wages are set to rise by just three and three quarters percent in 2022, suggesting that record high bills is going to wipe out people's pay raises. In Europe, years of wage stagnation, cuts to Social Security have left millions badly exposed to sky-high bills. With households across Britain pushing to the brink, the government must do far more to help workers with crippling energy costs. This is the trade union speaking. Britain's oil and gas industry is not the cash cow that it once was with a notionally right-wing government increasingly obsessed with Guess what? Green policies and achieving net zero, having already allowed regulators to block the development of a major gas field in the North Sea. Sound familiar? (laughs) Sounds like some of the stuff we're dealing with here with our government. Prime Minister Boris Johnson in England, going against his pre-premiership principles, he has continued the effective ban on the exploitation of Britain's rich onshore shale gas reserves instituted by fellow Conservative Party Prime Minister Theresa May. Although Brexit Minister Jacob Rees-Mogg has signaled this may finally be reversed as the energy crisis worsens. Gas and oil suppliers over there, of course, are under severe strain as a result of the British sanctions war with the Russian Federation leaving Britain in the unenviable position of having to curry favor with the even more despotic Saudi Arabian regime in an effort to increase oil supplies for Britain from the same players we're trying to deal with, that Joe Biden's trying to deal with. And we didn't have to deal with them. Why? Well, because the month before the election that put Joe Biden in the White House, the United States was declared to be energy independent. If we had stayed in that mode, and of course Joe Biden took us out of that mode, we would not have any issues whatsoever, not only with our own oil and gas energy, but we were, we'd already begun exporting it to our neighbors in Europe. Don't you think it'd be a little better? Think about this. We are that close, and I've got my thumb and forefinger about half an inch apart. We are that close from being as far as energy and not having to worry about pissing off Vladimir Putin and we could do the military things that we just feel like we need to do and not worry about him cutting off our oil, which is what he is doing today. He's threatening Western and Northern Europe to cut his exports of natural gas to them in the middle of winter. 
can't help them because we're no longer energy independent thanks to this president. Of course, he would never admit to that. Never, ever. Moving on, interview yesterday with CNBC that was released, Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adimo, and yes, this is Joe Biden's Deputy Treasury Secretary. He argued that there is no contradiction between the Biden administration telling oil companies, our oil companies, to produce more, while also at the same time saying, we're going to move away from fossil fuels. And he said that moving off fossil fuels should be a national security priority for our country. This is the stupidest conversation I have heard, and he's not the only one in the Biden administration doing it. White House correspondent, it was in that interview, Kayla Tausch asked Ademo, there's been a general chilling effect by the rhetoric of the administration and the communications with the oil and gas industry. Granted, some of that is changing now, but can you can you say to these companies, hey, you need to start drilling more when the posture of the administration for the last 12 months has been, we're going to be moving away from fossil fuels. You know, we need you to go invest some more money right now. Spend millions and millions of dollars to get those rigs working again and get those uh, gas lines flowing again and go find some more oil and gas out there while we're having this conflict overseas. We want you to do that. But then we know after we, and let's hope we get through this problem that we're having in Europe and its impact on the world, you know they're going to come back in the Biden administration and shut it down again. Joe Biden, all of these people like Ademo, They have no business experience. They've never had to make a payroll from Friday to Friday. They don't understand the challenges of being in business and making that business work and be cost-effective and make a profit. Oh, my gosh, make a profit. They don't understand how it happens, yet alone what happens when somebody like this comes along and throws these bombs out there And Joe Biden is actually talking about using his power to force our oil and gas companies to ramp it up again. You know what they call that on the other side of the aisle when Donald Trump was in president? He never did anything like Biden's done or what they're talking about, what Adema was talking about yesterday. They call that authoritarianism. They accuse Trump of doing stuff that he is not doing, has never done. In fact, everything he was trying to do, he did it 180 degrees away. He did it from the constitutional perspective of the government being the advocates of what the people want, not the other way around. Joe Biden's the other way around. Joe Biden, by his own definition, when he was pointing his finger at Donald Trump in the White House, Joe Biden is an authoritarian. Donald Trump isn't and wasn't. And if he decides to run again, he will not have to defend the actions that he took. Not a single one of them. Because he is still in what he proposes today. He hadn't changed. He's light years away from Barack Obama, Joe Biden, and all the people in the Biden administration. 
Now, we do understand what's pretty much ahead of us right now regarding inflation. It's not going to get any better. And then there's a chance it's going to get even worse. We found out overnight that the Chinese manufacturing hubs, Shenzhen and Changchun, it looks like their supply chain issues because of another COVID interruption are going to impact us. And the prices here, if they do, if that happens, it's going to go higher. The U.S. imports about $48 billion of good from China. We did just last month, the latest month for which data is available. Last year, imports of Chinese goods totaled half a trillion dollars, the second highest level of imports from China on record. Now, the Chinese government has placed Shenzhen on lockdown for at least a week, ordered everybody in the city to get three rounds of COVID tests. The lockdown has halted manufacturing operations there, including those of Foxconn, who is the assembler of Apple iPhones. Shenzhen's exports of goods reached 1.9 trillion won, which is the equivalent of about $302 billion in 2021. That's from the Chinese. Electronics and telecommunications equipment reportedly account for more than 90% of the total output of Shenzhen's high-tech industries. Huawei Technologies, they make phones. And electric vehicle maker BYD, which produces electric cars and batteries, are located in Shenzhen as well. Huawei has reportedly been allowed to remain open. I can't quite understand why they would get a pass, but they also, they sell phones, Apple cell phones. The cost of U.S. consumer goods, less energy and food, jumped 1% in January, 0.4% last month for a year-over-year increase of 12.3%. I can't even, even though I say it and I know it's there, every time I say it, it makes me want to gnash my teeth. Inflation makes nobody with but the very wealthiest money, the people that can not do anything with all the money they have. They got big money, they just turn it into cash and put it in the bank and they draw 5 6 7% in interest, just letting it sit there. And when you have a couple of million dollars, 5 or 6 or 7% is a really big deal. <laughs> You're going to make some good money while everybody else is toiling in the ditches. You know what I mean? Well, we hadn't seen or heard from Dr. Anthony Fauci lately. Why is that? Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's for a bunch of reasons. Number one, we have, we being the American people, have finally solved the COVID problem. It's not a problem bigger than any other problem in medicine, and it wasn't until it was weaponized for political purposes by the left. And their spokesperson was, without a doubt, Dr. Anthony Fauci. And the media fights gave him a bully pulpit, and he used it in dramatic fashion for days, every day. Bam, 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 bam. He never missed a chance to go on a television show. And he spewed venom against anybody who would disagree with him, And he basically, and not basically, he actually came out and said this in an interview. I am science. In the sentence before that, he said, we must listen to the science. And I am science. And of course, 
We had been listening to him without question. Nobody would go against him. Everything he told us for months and months and months, we did exactly what? Why? Because we were scared to death. Why were we scared to death? Because he told us, if you don't do this, you're going to get very sick. You're going to infect other people around you, and you and them are going to die. All of his drivel, all of it was untrue. And we made life-changing and unbelievably uh, dollar-costing decisions based upon things that he told us. Yesterday on Jesse Waters' primetime show, Fauci's biggest biggest nemesis, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky, he said he's going to propose an amendment today to eliminate Dr. Anthony Fauci's position as the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID. It's called NIAID. It's a division of the National Institutes of Health. And this uh, elimination is going to divide it, the position into three different positions so that one person wouldn't have a monopoly of so much power that they could use against their enemies. And because having one person in charge has created a culture that is not conducive <laughs> to scientific inquiry. Paul said this, I will present an amendment that will get a vote on eliminating Fauci's position. I think we should eliminate it, divide it into three, appoint three new directors that will be approved by the Senate. He also said the problem with having only one guy having everything go before him for like 40 years is that he's monopolized power And he's created a culture that's not conducive to scientific inquiry. You need people who question. That's what science is about. Remember this, Dr. Paul is a doctor. It's about questioning and putting forth your hypothesis and then trying to prove it with experiments. But he's shown both Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins that they'll get in the mud. If you don't agree with their political opinions, they just go after you. That's why the last time I had, Rand Paul speaking, an exchange with Dr. Fauci, we asked him about some emails between him and Dr. Collins, who was his boss at the NIH. And in the emails, he said, let's do a dramatic takedown of three scientists when they disagree with us politically. Well, when a person like Dr. Fauci controls $5 billion worth of grant money, it's not good that we have a really petty tyrant who wants to take down the people that disagree with him, and that's not conducive to scientific inquiries. So it's long past time we remove him from the government. I think really the power should be split into three different positions, and then one person wouldn't have a monopoly of so much power they could use against their political enemies. Don't think for a second that Fauci has not done that. He has, folks. I mean, he blasts anybody and everybody. We could sit here and give you name after name after name of really expert medical doctors from around the globe that he just blasted and obliterated, and we gave him a bully pulpit from which to do it. I mean, we put him on stage in the White House breast briefing room every day for months and months and months, and people around the world were taking their positions on how to treat COVID and all the ancillary things that we had to deal with 
And they all changed their lives based upon what he told us, only to find out later, and not until recently, Dr. Fauci is a paper tiger. He says a lot, he growls a lot, but there's no substance there. There's nothing in there that is meaningful. In fact, many of the things that he said ended up people getting very, very sick from listening to him, and many people died. He was instrumental in the development of remdesivir and getting it to the market. It's that IV treatment, IV only, that requires a minimum of three transfusions, and it had to be done in the hospital, which was interesting. Why? Because the only way the federal government was going to reimburse hospitals for work that was done on COVID patients was if those COVID patients were in the hospital. So a $3,000 treatment that probably would have cost maybe four or $5,000 if it was administered at a doctor's office, then it cost $15,000 because they got to go to the hospital, they have to be admitted, they have to be tr- being treated under all the COVID protocols, bringing into that picture, going on a ventilator, those high-dollar drugs, Doctors' fees go up, keeping them in hospitals goes up, the costs do. He was a big part of all of that, only to find out now they still haven't pulled remdesivir off the market, but it, it, it causes kidney failure, severe kidney failure. Which brings up the question, why would it still be on the market if it causes kidney failure? That's a good question. I don't have the answer for it. Somebody knows, and somebody knows the impact that it's made in the past. I think that a lot of the reason they're not doing it, not doing the normal processes the FDA does, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but here in in the past, we presented all of the medications through history that the FDA had approved and then came back later and pulled them off the market. And if you look at the incidences that caused the FDA to take those actions, none of them even came close to the numbers of people that have gotten really sick and died from adverse reactions to some of these COVID-19 vaccine drugs. And yet they're all still out there. They're still being used. And we're still led to believe that they're all killing covid when in fact, in many cases, they're killing the patients. Hello? Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion smoky Sour cream, salt, and vinegar, too. You sample them all because the crisp is so good on your lips. You left your wallet at home, but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. The world tells you to wait. That waiting is polite. 
and good things will just come. But if I waited to be invited in, I never would have stood out. If I waited for change to happen, I never would have made a difference. So make the first move. Don't wait to be told your place. Take it. Don't wait for people to find you. Find them. In work. In love. In life. And most of all, don't wait to be given power. Because here's what they won't tell you. We already have it. As much a part of your day as pants. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Well, I guess that makes sense. Uh, you're not going to go to work. You're not going to go to school. You're pretty much not going to do anything without pants. I guess what Pete Moss is talking about. We all shouldn't do anything without dialing up TNN Live or going to www.truthnewsnet.org looking at the stories and the information that are published there. Saying, I want to thank you again for being part of the family and doing just that. Do you realize that two years ago this week, it was two years ago this week, the United States shut down. I can tell you exactly where I was. I was in uh, New Mexico, had just flown in for a men's conference that I went to every year called the Men of Iron. It's been like, 30 years it's been going on every year. And it happens in Rio Dosa, New Mexico, at their convention center, which is a great little town. It's it's uh, it's up in, not right in the mountains, but pretty high up. So the altitude, the air is kind of thin, but the temperatures are cool. It's really a neat place. Got into Rio Dosa, checked into the convention place, and was getting ready for the first session. And I get a call And it's a call about the governor of New Mexico had just announced a statewide shutdown of all public facilities, lockdown. So we couldn't do, we couldn't do the conference. There were thousands of people that had come into Rio Dosa, New Mexico for the conference. And I was just one of them. Well, of course, the nation, if you remember, went into panic mode. I had to hitch a ride to get back to the airport. And I couldn't get out until the next day, late in the day. And the airport in uh, this town in Mexico was just slammed. Everybody was struggling to get a flight to go home or wherever they were going to go. Everybody was scared to death, too. You know, the mass thing was just breaking out. Nobody wanted to sit next to each other. Nobody wanted to talk to each other. It was a really bad thing, a bad scenario. Churches, schools businesses, everybody went dark. Weddings, funerals, you couldn't even bury a loved one. Birthdays went silent. City streets were empty. And there was an eeriness closer resembling occupied like a big city, like Paris, France, or Monaco, and someplace like that. Two years later, here we are. As the last of the mask mandates for our kids, they faltered, they cracked. And it's tempting to believe that this nightmare we've all lived together for two years now is over. 
Just as the disease is going to haunt us a long while, however, you know what else is going to happen? The effects of how we've tried to fight it are going to linger. Our relationships with our politicians, our bureaucrats, our teachers, coaches, school administrators, media, even the police, and our churches are fundamentally altered, and they may never return to the way it was. The entire West relationships with these major segments of society have been forever remade, and we didn't do it. As we look back on the wreckage of two years of COVID policies and Dr. Fauci every day, as well as our today spiking fuel prices, rocketing inflation, the contested election of 2020, a Chinese Olympics, and now Russia's in Ukraine. It becomes increasingly clear that far from standing at the end of a dark era, today's civilization is teetering unsteadily at the very beginning of one, a new era. It's hard to see that at first. The modern West has become so accustomed to a slow, steady decline, the kind that Merle Haggard sang about, remember? Ronald Reagan ran against. That complaining about it has become just a cliche, like the angry old man waving his cane. More than that, it's tempting to view the past two years as separate from our other major problems. But just as Black Tuesday began an era marked by the Depression, the Dust Bowl, the New Deal, the Second World War, and a fundamental reshaping of our American life, so too will the lockdowns mark the start of a ride that we can't get off. The damage is done. Even in states that have long since shrugged off the bureaucrats' COVID demands, trust is gone. The people had believed in March 2020 that if they did their parts, all would soon be well. You know why we believed it? Dr. Fauci told us, locked down for two weeks and we'll be through it all. And we believed him. As President Calvin Coolidge famously said, the chief ideal of the American people is idealism. And the chief business of the American people is business. Neither Americans' idealism nor our industry were rewarded, however. From March 2020 on, ours was ruled not by the people, but by bureaucrats. Our politicians betrayed us. Flying abroad, getting haircuts, going maskless, holding parties, dining out while they closed schools, They forbade any gatherings, banning amenities, and demonized all who resisted or even questioned their orders. Our corporate media betrayed us, propping up liars and fools, tearing down all who spoke against their champions, and spreading fear and hatred of dissent as far and wide as their words would carry. Our teachers betrayed us, using COVID to gain a grab bag of vacation time, control over parents. They got pay raises and other unrelated perks, all while they punished school children with two years of mask separation from their peers and the educational and the developmental retardation those rules cost us. 
Even those much-vaunted hospital workers betrayed us. Keeping dying husbands from their dying wives, grown children from their elderly parents, brothers from their sisters, babies from their mothers, all to ensure, they tell us, COVID safety. As hard as it seems, much of this is going to turn out to be good. Not that our politicians, our media, our teachers in healthcare are broken, as the most important essay of 2021 laid bare, but that Americans now recognize just how broken they all are. Other betrayals, though, are fresher. While corruption among our most powerful religious leaders is older than the Bible itself, when our government declared religion a disposable pastime, many of our religious leaders publicly obeyed. When they bowed before the bureaucrats, a trust was broken with the people. And America was left with one more central civil institution that was weakened, and that was the time we needed it strong. I look at what happened in my church. We took, a, we took that two-week thing, you know, just the initial time to just see how it played out. And then, thankfully, our pastor said, we're not going to do this. We're not going to hide. We're not going to cave. Our state, thank God, did not shut us down with mandatory shutdowns. They suggested it, but it wasn't mandatory. And so our churches went back to meeting. There was no negativism shared for anybody that didn't share that opinion and chose not to come. But we did virtual services the whole way through. That was very unique across the nation. And for those of us that had it, we were blessed. We had a person sitting next to us, but there were two chairs between us just to be safe. And we, we, we certainly didn't want to scare anybody that wanted to come. That was the exception around the nation. And then there was Christmas, this past Christmas, for example. People across the country told relatives they wouldn't be welcome if they hadn't been vaccinated. You probably know more people this hurt than you realize. Many of them, sad, embarrassed, they hid it. They just hid it, claiming they simply couldn't make the trip this year. Then there are the grandparents across the country who have never seen their grandchildren. In the past month alone, there are couples everywhere, and you're hearing about them. You'll see them on TV shows, seeing their families for the first time ever, provided they quarantined for two weeks first and then took a test. The kind of fear and intolerance it takes to bar your mother from your kids extends to broader society too. Cops, hospital workers, many others lost their jobs over their refusals to take a shot, while corporate media and its viewers loudly cheered for even more harsh penalties, even harsher, confronting and reporting on businesses and people who break COVID restrictions is actually encouraged by both government and media. Our inability to reject dissent from the latest COVID decree penetrates our society so deeply. Liberal comedy show Saturday Night Live SNL is now openly mocking how closely American liberals have had to monitor even their private conversations with friends. We're now comfortable with the concept of censoring disinformation. 
It's extended well beyond COVID, and it's going to remain for a long, long time. Big tech, social media, that's what their original plan was for their companies, and they are reveling in knowing that they got their foot in the front door, and it looks like they're going to hang on and be part of our lives going forward. It's not surprising to see how the host of a daytime TV show for women casually call for the investigation and the possible imprisonment, by the way, of journalists and politicians who express opposition to something they support. In this case, the war in Ukraine. This sort of thing has become actually monotonous. Censorship, investigations, even arrests are offered daily as solution to problems as mundane as political or medical disagreements. Has the phrase, we're on this, we're in this together, ever rung so hollow? As in past times of marked trouble, struggle, and decline, decline. Not all of our problems are plainly linked, but they coalesce in their effects. We find ourselves more divided than we've been in 150 years and so less able to handle what comes our way. Many of our civil institutions, long sick, now seem terminately ill. Distrust, enmity run high. Why shouldn't they? The result of these divisions, as we plunged into the next series of crises, like rapid inflation, destabilized fuel prices, the real prospect of world war in Europe, We have fewer tools to handle them, less willingness to even try, more suspicion of our fellow Americans than at any time in over a century. Taking it all in, we know that we're weaker than when we began 2020. Taking it all in, we know that far from returning to normalcy, we are in a period of deadly turmoil with enemies, foreign and domestic who are intent on taking advantage of our divisions, of our distrust, and our dangerously unsteady economic situations. We've been challenged before. Even in modern times, 9-11 attacks rocked us like we hadn't since Pearl Harbor. Yet we pushed through. We soldiered on. What's finally missing, however, is that general feeling of confidence and working together under one common cause. We no longer share an understanding that no matter the monsters we'd face, and we face a bunch right here at home and abroad as well, that everything would be okay, that the American way will go on. Overriding something else, Walter Lloyd, I don't know if you ever read his book in 1955 on the sinking of the HMS Titanic, The Disaster he said, also marked the end of a general feeling of confidence. Until then, men felt they had found the answer to a steady, orderly, civilized life. For a hundred years, the Western world had been at peace. For a hundred years, technology had technically and steadily improved. For a hundred years, the benefits of peace and industry seemed to be filtering satisfactorily through our society. Looking back, he continued, there may seem less grounds for confidence, but at the time, most articulate people felt life was all all right. It was okay. The Titanic woke them up. Never again would they be quite so sure of themselves. 
Within two years of the sinking, the First World War began. By its end, its anger, its violence, and indifference to personal suffering destroyed an entire generation of Americans and cut our civilization so deeply the damage inflicted is still seen today. We see the damage, but we don't know that it started way back during World War I. The men who, in relative peacetime, placed supreme confidence in their steel ship against the Great Blue Sea might only chuckle at the hubris of their successors who had supreme confidence they could master a disease they didn't know. We in the West, though, we can be confident of one thing and one thing only. These past two years have cut us deeply, and they're going to haunt us for many more than just two years going forward. What's not yet been written is whether we overcome all this. That's going to be up to us, and it's going to be up to God. How do we handle this? Folks, my recommendation is pray. Golly. You got to talk to somebody. Novel idea. Why not just talk to God? Give it a whirl. We got to get answers. Nobody has the answers. And anybody that tells you, I've got the answers, they're lying to you. If you want to listen to them, listen to them. But my recommendation, do a 360 and run. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're a pilgrim, please make a decision. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, he has Bud Light. And a chainsaw. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. Oh, it's a puppy! Not a puppy, a wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. Put the wolf down. You guys good? Mm. Yeah, we're good. Yep. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive. No drama.
Here at TNN Live, we have the ability to look at the um, the locations, the geo locations of where people are listening in, and we have we've always had a big following in places like Australia, New Zealand, um, Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, uh, some in China, and of course we have a big following normally in Russia. I think it might not be surprising to say that our Russian followers have dwindled quite a bit, and I'm sure it has to do with the turning off of access to Internet for international uh, websites by the Russian government. But today, we have a big spate of people from Europe that are listening in. And I like that. I want to say hello to all of you and let you know that we're in the tank for you Europeans. We pray for you, we talk about you, and we have love for our fellow humans. And we want this push by this despot lunatic, President Vladimir Putin of Russia, we want him to be stopped in his tracks. And therefore, we pray for all of our European friends, especially those in Ukraine and the adjoining countries, because we all feel like if Vladimir Putin is successful in this Ukrainian invasion, he's not going to stop there. And so we pray for you. And I would ask all of you looking over here at us Yanks that You don't think that what you see on the media is 100% representation of who we are. Over here, and I know you deal with the same thing over there in Europe, we have a big, big group of large international companies that own the big communication media companies here. And they are in the tank for hardcore leftist politics with big government takeovers and big government controlling everything, which is the antithesis of what our nation was founded for when our forefathers in the 1600s headed west from Europe to find a place where they could run their own governments, run government, set it up in the beginning and keep it in perpetuity as government of the people, government by the people, and government for the people. We've watched that erode here in our nation. And I encourage all of you that are listening in today from Europe that you recognize and believe, and we hope you feel, our prayers and support for you in spite of our government, which in some cases doesn't really get out there on the edge doing those things in demonstrative physical ways. But we're praying for you, and the American people are 100% behind the people of Ukraine, and we pray that the fighting stops and Russia's kicked out of Ukraine, and with that given the message that tyranny and aggression and invasions will not be allowed over there because they're not allowed over here. We love you and we thank you. We love having you aboard. Please tell others over there. Let them know we're here. And uh, let them know we'd love to see them looking in as well. Back to the tidbits of news we haven't been able to get to today. Jesse Smollett, the actor, he's the disgraced actor now. He's the one that faked being attacked by Donald Trump supporters, beat up, 
and had a noose tied around his neck, only to find out it happened when he hired two African-American guys to fake such an attack. And it was also the Jesse Smollett that was really struggling with his uh, entertainment career, was looking for a way to enhance his opinion, and he could get a better job and make more money. He was convicted in December of five counts of felony lying to the cops after authorities say he staged that on hate crime, paying those two brothers from Nigeria to beat him up and then blaming the incident on Trump supporters. When he was convicted and his sentence was uh, passed out last week, he cried out repeatedly in court that he isn't suicidal. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. And he suggested that he would be harmed in jail. I can understand that. The courtroom drama was a good indication that Smollett was about to go away quietly, that he wasn't going to do it. He's reportedly being held in the psychiatric ward of the Cook County Jail in Chicago. His brother said there was a note put on the front of his jail cell saying that he's at risk of self-harm. He added that his brother is in no way, shape, or form or at risk of self-harm, and he wants to let folks know that he is very stable, that he's very strong, he's very healthy, ready to take on the challenge that ultimately is put up against him. (laughs) No admission that Smollett brought this on himself. His attorney submitted an emergency motion in the court on Monday claiming he should never have been convicted, Go figure, he was convicted by a jury of his peers that heard testimony and saw evidence. That's the way it works over here in the U.S. The motion filed also cites a medical doctor's opinion that Jesse Smollett is at serious health risk if he contracts COVID behind bars because he has a compromised immune system. It is my opinion that the incarceration of Mr. Smollett in jail or prison poses a substantially increased risk to his health. That's a statement by his doctor, Michael Friedman. The COVID-19 pandemic is an ongoing pandemic. As of March this year, the pandemic has caused more than 445 million cases, approximately 6 million deaths worldwide. Incarceration in a jail or prison setting poses a heightened danger to Mr. Smollett's health when taking his current health status, including his compromised immunity, into account, his doctor said. I gotta be honest with you. I'm I'm I just don't know if this judge in this case is gonna look at that and say that is sufficient to pander to what uh, the attorneys are asking for Millette to get. You know what? It it wouldn't have been so bad, and I think he would have gotten away if he hadn't have been so obvious and so unprofessional in the way that he tried to fake this thing. People aren't stupid. And I mean, it just looked funny. (laughs) When it hit the news, it just looked funny the way it was all being rolled out. It just didn't make sense. And Americans didn't buy it. Have you heard about this crazy thing going on with Tucker Carlson and Tulsi Gabbard, former United States Congresswoman from Hawaii. The View yesterday, as crazy as they are, they went nuts on the show. It wasn't me there. 
it could be their most unhinged show of the year. The viewer calling for the investigation of Fox News and ratings King Tucker Carlson and former Democrat Representative Tulsi Gabbard accusing the two of being Russian propagandists for daring to hold views that dissent from those of the Biden administration on the crisis in Ukraine. So what's going on? On Monday's edition of The View, the co-host unleashed their authoritarian impulses and called for the government to persecute their political adversaries, a common refrain from members of a party that's gone so far left since Hillary Clinton gagged away the 2016 election that they've crossed over into the territory with Vladimir Putin, the old Soviet Union. That's right. The ladies' triggers were tripped by Tucker and Tulsi's remarks suggesting there could be secret biological research facilities in Ukraine, which is is a fire-breathing allegation that despite being a major Russian propaganda talking point, was given some credence when U.S. Undersecretary of State Victoria Nuland acknowledged those facilities do indeed exist during a congressional testimony last week. We actually played that soundbite from the testimony here on TNN Live. So this The View segment kicked off with Whoopi Goldberg citing a report from far-left website Mother Jones, a regular feeder system for leftist hysteria, that an alleged leaked Kremlin memo instructed Russian media to play on the air clips of Carlson as often as possible with the name of the source being anonymous, which is so often the case when it comes to the leftist media, and its hit pieces. So Fox News' host, Tucker Carlson, is apparently a big hit in Russia right now. That's what... um, Whoopi Goldberg said, The website Mother Jones posted a leaked Kremlin war memo instructing Russian state media to play Tucker clips as much as possible, and Tulsi Gabbard is being accused of spreading Russian false flag propaganda. Here's what they've both been saying about the war. Take a look as she played a cherry-picked group of clips of the two targets. So in spite of the sketchy source for the document, other than it was provided by a contributor to a national Russian media outlet who wanted to remain anonymous, it served as the basis for the attack on both Carlson as well as Gabbard, who had been a frequent guest on his show. Whoopi then gave some love to failed Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney, a man who, like other conservatives, and I say conservatives in quotation mark because he's not a conservative at all. All these people saddled up with the Democrat lynch mob against Donald Trump has found the approval that eluded him from the media in the twisted post-2016 environment where a shared loathing for the iconoclastic billionaire outsider turned the system on its head. Why? Because it, it worked. He did stuff that worked. God forbid a president in the United States who had policies that he promised he would implement in his campaign. He gets elected. He does them and they work. (laughs) The former governor of Massachusetts, we're talking about Mitt Romney, all but accused Gabbard of treason in a tweet 
to the former Hawaii congressman's video message calling for all parties involved, that would be U.S., Russia, Ukraine, NATO, UN, EU, to implement a ceasefire now around these labs until they're secured and the pathogens inside destroyed. Whoopi's inclusion of both Pierre Delecto, she said, she and Mother Jones in the same tirade as the ultimate of ironies, and that it was David Korn who wrote the story on the Kremlin's alleged Carlson memo, who was also behind the devastating secretly recorded tape of then-candidate Mitt Romney addressing donors about the 47% of the people who leech off the government and would vote for Barack Obama no matter what he said a remark that he was vilified for in the run-up to the 2012 election. Can you believe this web that they weave over there? It's like it's gossip and nothing else. Well, this thing with Tulsi and Tucker, I promise you it's going to go on, and there's no there there, and it's nothing but gossip. It's almost like a soap opera in the middle of the day. (laughs) Oh, everybody's got to have something to keep them going, right? Everybody's got to reach out for something, and we all do. The big news in the sports world. Did you see what happened over the weekend? I thought this was uncanny. On Friday of last week, um, the quarterback, the quarterback from the Houston Texans, you remember he's been in a lot of trouble. And uh, he's been he's been charged with uh, having getting involved in sexual improprieties, and it's a big deal. He didn't play this past season, and uh, he's a really good he's a really good quarterback. And a bunch of teams are looking at him, and they off season. So on Friday of last, I think it was Friday, may have been Saturday, Friday of last week, the Tampa Buccaneers put it out there that they were going to offer him. $160 million contract to come play for Tampa. Well, Tampa, you know, they had best quarterback of all time. Tom Brady is their quarterback for two seasons. He won a Super Bowl in year one and lost a chance to do that in this year's playoffs. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, guess what happened? News comes out. Tom Brady is going back to Tampa Bay. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Money will do it, folks. The love of money is the root of all evil. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, all my folks overseas. We love being with you, and we're here every day from 9 to 11 a.m. Central here in the U.S. Join us tomorrow. Until then, have a great day. Baby, I'm going to want you. Baby, I'm going to need you. You're the only one I care. Enough to hurt about Maybe I'm a crazy But I just can't live without Your loving and affection Giving me direction Like a guiding light To help me through my darkest hour Lately I'm a-praying That you'll always be a-staying Beside me Used to be my life was just emotions passing by Feeling all the while I never really 
summer praying that you'll always be a staying beside me. Used to be my life was just emotions passing by. Then you came along and made me laugh and made me cry. You taught me why, baby, I'm a Baby, I'm a new- 